Hello, and welcome back to Voices of Chandler, the podcast. I'm your host, Melina Suniga, and I know Halloween was this past weekend, but it's never too late to share some true crime stories, right? Sir, there has been a murder. For this spooky episode, I want to throw it back to the ghosts of Chandler's past. We're all familiar with notorious criminals from the 30s like Machine Gun Kelly and Bonnie and Clyde. But did you know that Chandler also has some true crime stories? I'm Jody Crago, the museum administrator for the Chandler Museum. And I'm Nate Myers, the collections coordinator for the Chandler Museum. And we're here today to talk about famous crime sprees in Chandler. Many of us are are very familiar with the famous criminals and desperados of the 20s and 30s. It seemed like the newspapers back then were filled with stories uh, of bank heists and kidnappings and gun battles and murders with famous gangsters like George Babyface Nelson, Machine Gun Kelly, Pretty Boy Floyd, John Dillinger, and Bonnie and Clyde. The exploits of these uh, people were covered in the newspapers, in books, in magazines, even in, in early movies and it became quite a fascination for the public, so much so that that it seemed like daily people were living to see what was gonna happen next with these desperados of the day. And all the way back in 1929, Chandler had their very own Bonnie and Clyde, before Bonnie and Clyde actually began, two people known as Irene Schroeder and Walter Daig. So our story is gonna begin with Irene Schroeder as a 20 year old in 1929. She was uh, from West Virginia, And at age 15, she was married. By 16, she had a son. So when our story picks up, her son Donnie was four years old. She left her husband and moved to Wheeling, West Virginia, where she was a waitress. And during that time, she met a man named Walter Dagg, who was a Sunday school teacher and a salesman. And he was married, father too, but soon they became uh, lovers and they got into a lot more trouble from there. Indeed, they, they began to start to rob little stores and things when they had a chance. So on December 27th, 1929, Schroeder and Dag, as well as Schroeder's brother and Schroeder's son, Donnie, at the age of four, all got in a car and drove about 100 miles from West Virginia into Pennsylvania. And on a whim, they decided to rob a local grocery store at gunpoint while Donnie, the little four-year-old, waited in the car. Irene and and Walter bound and gagged the store manager and the customers, emptied their pockets, cleaned out the cash register, and took anything of value that they could find. This was, as I mentioned before, this wasn't the first time they had done this kind of thing, um, but they didn't get away just as as they normally would have. Normally they'd gone after gas stations and other stores, and they'd get, get away pretty easily, but not this time. So this time, two Pennsylvania Highway Patrolmen were actually called in and tracked them down and engaged in a gunfight with Schroeder and Dag, again, with little Donnie, four-year-old Donnie, sitting in the back of the car. Uh, One of the police officers was wounded and later died from his wounds. The other one was also wounded, but he would survive. And Irene and Walter got away, and this started an epic nationwide manhunt and chase for, for these two criminals. Yeah, so what they did was they dropped Donnie off with Irene's dad, 
and then begin a crime spree across the entire country. Jody goes on to say that as they robbed a gas station here and a grocery store there, newspapers started to follow their crime sprees and even gave Irene nicknames like Iron Irene or Trigger Girl Schroeder or Animal Girl Irene. And so they became famous. And these are, again, the days before Bonnie and Clyde. On their spree, their luck held. They kept escaping police all the way across the country and they arrived in Arizona. And they stopped in a small town called Florence where they were gonna gas up, buy some food, maybe steal some food. And uh, while they were there, a Pinal County deputy by the name of Joe Chapman spotted them, recognized them, approached them, and they actually ended up jumping him, kidnapping him, throwing him in the back of their car and driving north from Florence, which led them straight towards Chandler. So the only highway north was old Highway 87 headed into Chandler. So people inside the store had seen that Officer Chapman had been kidnapped. So what do they do? They call the police, the police radio Maricopa County Sheriff's, and what happens next? Maricopa County Deputy Sheriff Shirley Butterfield and Lee Wright, who both lived in Chandler, set up a roadblock on Highway 87 in downtown Chandler, right across from the San Marcos Hotel. This was where they were going to try to stop Animal Girl Irene and Walter from, from going any further. Trigger Girl and Walter make it into Chandler, and they get stopped at the roadblock, and a gun battle ensues right on the streets of Chandler, right in front of the San Marcos Hotel. Deputy Wright was wounded. Deputy Butterfield was blinded by glass when a bullet shattered the windshield of his car. Chapman, who was the Pinal County officer who'd been kidnapped, struggled with, with his captors, was shot in the hand, but managed to escape. And as he jumped out of the car, Irene and Walter took off to the west, seemed maybe to have escaped again. So they head into uh, the Gila River Indian community and the Estrella Mountains because they think that they can hide out there. What these two criminals didn't know was that the Maricopa County Sheriff was the brother of Lee Wright, the deputy who was wounded by setting up the roadblock here in Chandler. And woo-wee, what happens next, Jody? He dispatched a large posse out into the mountains. This included police uh, members from the Gila River Indian community, from the county sheriff's department, as well as other police forces in the valley. It became a huge manhunt, but indeed they even used the best technology of the day to try to find them, including an airplane to find where they were. And shortly after, about a six hour standoff, Animal Girl Irene and Walter Digg surrendered. So now that they were in custody, they were brought back to Chandler where they were ironically fed a last meal at the Ellis Cafe, which is right next to San Marcos Hotel, where just hours before they'd had this big gun battle with Maricopa County deputies. And before they could be extradited to Pennsylvania to face charges for the death of the highway patrolman there, Hollywood had actually heard the story and become interested in the story. And a Hollywood movie studio actually tried to send a camera crew out here and halt the extradition so that they could film Irene and Walter actually recreating the shootout in front of the San Marcos Hotel. A judge said, no, you're not gonna do that. And uh, they were ultimately extradited to Pennsylvania. About a year later, after all of the legal wrangling and the court cases, Schroeder and Dagg were found guilty for the murder of the Pennsylvania police officer, and both were sentenced to death by the electric chair. 
Now, Schroeder was the first woman in Pennsylvania history to face this type of death by the electric chair, as well as also she was only the fourth woman in the entire history of the United States that had ever been executed that way. And so, unfortunately, their uh, wicked ways uh, led to their ultimate demise. But that's the story of Animal Girl Irene and Walter Digg, the Bonnie and Clyde, before there was a Bonnie and Clyde. So Chandler was setting records before there were even records to be set. Community of innovation, am I right? But don't even get me started with the San Marcos Hotel. Built in 1913, you already know there is some spooky happening there. Visitors report seeing a female figure, hearing a man moaning, and staff receiving calls from phone extensions in the hotel that don't exist. And I'm citing AZ Central on that. But can you just imagine just randomly hearing a man moan? Like, was it a soft moan? Was it a tortured moan? I have questions. But also, there have been stories of a haunted portrait of our founder, Dr. A.J. Chandler, inside the San Marcos lobby that has a bunch of bad juju attached to it. Rumor has it that Dr. Chandler doesn't like to be unmounted or moved from the wall where he is currently hanging and spooky stuff has happened when they move the portrait. Not hot breath in your ear with a man's moan, but other spooky stuff. Now, I'm all sure we've all heard myths about the ostrich. If you haven't or didn't know, there's rumors that this underground bar located in the heart of downtown Chandler was once a speakeasy. And honestly, it totally gives off that vibe. But here to talk a little bit more about its history and development is John Owens with the Downtown Sound. Uh, we're actually sitting in the ostrich right now, and before we get started talking a little bit about the interesting history here in the ostrich, I'd love if you could talk a little bit about who you are, why you're in downtown Chandler, how long you've been here, and, and tell us about the ostrich which we're sitting in right now. My name is uh, Michael Marandino. I've uh, been the owner of Cross since 2007, and you know I always had the vision to expand, and you know what's our next place, and. 2012 and 2013, I had a stint at Salt River Fields. We did something for the Phoenix Convention Center, but I always loved the East Valley. And we drove, drove through, you know, Mesa and Gilbert, Chandler. And when I came out here, I, I, I just thought it was like special, right? I, I knew something felt great. So it was probably about 2013 where I came here first time, had a beer over at Santan, and I saw the old Cocopelli building and I knew the owner, a gentleman named Dennis, and I went in there for a glass of wine, and I started talking to him, and he was telling me about, he was thinking about moving out of Chandler, and you know, maybe he would rent this building out to me. Long story short, after a few months of going back and forth, and sort of almost a negotiation, that, that obviously fell through, but then I sort of really started enjoying this downtown Chandler thing, and I, I, I started meeting different people, different city people, and you know, I was talking to them, and there was so much of this energy that I loved. Every time you talk, you know, oh, you gotta see what's coming on. You gotta see what the next step is. And a friend of mine was just doing real estate, said, hey, Mike, you should really look at the San Marcos Hotel project, because there's three different suites, one of them being like a little Starbucks, the other one being an old real estate office, and the other one being sort of abandoned you should look at this because I bet you we could blow everything out and, and make it a restaurant. So I'm like, wow. Um, and you know, long story short, that was 2013 and after, I mean, a struggle 
opening up a historic building <laughs> downtown Chandler. Um, we uh, we got the doors open in uh, 2015, and, and the rest has been awesome history for us. And so we're sitting here in the ostrich right now underneath the San Marcos. How did this come about? So many stories, right? And when I came down here, I was trying to talk to as many different people as I could, people that worked on property, um, obviously people with the city, people with the museums, historical society. And down here, I've heard a lot of different rumors, a lot of different stories, and this was at one point, may or may not been a room that housed ostrich feathers. It may or may not been a room that was during Prohibition serving liquor and people were playing cards. I know for a fact that behind these walls, because I've seen them and I've been in these tunnels, there's tunnels that go to the old train station to the back clubhouse of the San Marcos and there's probably about six or seven ones that go for about a half mile. I was not that adventurous and went that far, um, but there was definitely a lot right behind these walls. So the room that we're sitting in was underneath the lobby of the original San Marcos Hotel. And when we're thinking about the room that we're sitting in now, obviously Crust is right above us. We're at the corner of Commonwealth and San Marcos, right in the heart of downtown Chandler. How has it been for you since you've been down here in the last, gosh, almost seven years now, seeing the growth of downtown and how you've been a part of that growth? You got to use words like explosive, um, exciting, um, but it was funny when I was first came down here, I kept on seeing it, right? Uh, talking to, uh, you know, Anthony and Jamie over at Santan, right? Great guys to go have a beer with, but talking to them because they were the pioneers, in my opinion, of downtown Chandler. And they're the ones that were telling me, you know, when, before I signed the lease, hey, there's a lot going on down here. There's a lot coming. And being a part of the San Marcos Hotel, which since I've been here, I sold this a couple times, but this new ownership group is honestly fantastic. I'm not saying that because they're my landlords. I'm saying that because I, they're an amazing bunch of guys and they're here for the betterment of Chandler, the hotel, all the history that goes with it. But we just saw the vision and we kept on talking to people about and how exciting the plans were. and just trying to be a part of it. There's a lot of history in the ostrich space. There's a lot of history at the San Marcos. And, you know, Crest and the ostrich are both part of the modern version of that history. But I know there are some maybe spookier stories from the past, whether it's Prohibition era or otherwise, that have come out of this space as well. I'm wondering what some of those stories are and, and what you know that you can, you can share. So a lot of people know about the bricks and you know people had signed the bricks and there may or may not have been a Marilyn Monroe signature down over here. Well, we took down a brick wall and we we're trying to save some of the bricks and the brick wall was in a pile, I would say probably about eight feet by eight feet. And if you could imagine, probably by about three, four feet high, if you could imagine a pile of bricks that big, it would probably take you know, two to three adult male to move this into a, you know, it's it just it's so heavy. It's hundreds of pounds of bricks. So the, the wall came down one day because uh, we we're doing the remodel and we came back the next morning and these bricks were stacked so neatly. Now I'm pointing over here from one side from where the door is, right? Now to the exact opposite. So that's probably about 50 feet away. It's, it's a long distance. They were stacked perfectly, like like someone almost built a new wall. So I came down and I'm like, oh, what's going on guys? Who, wow, that's awesome, who did that? So all the laborers like, I, I didn't do it. I didn't come in on my day off or my hours off and I didn't, I didn't come and do it. And we started looking around at each other. One guy looked at us, ran up the stairs, ran out, quit the job. 
<laughs> it was this aura that like, hold on, who did that? Who, like, why would someone do? I, I mean, I know that's like a, like a silly little story, but that happened to me. Right. Another thing that happened to me down here, I'm about down here by myself working, trying to get this place open. This is over the summer of 2015. Just like every home switch, we, when we put in a new light, you have those like decor style, those flip switches sure. on a wall. Yeah. And we all know what those sound like when you flip it on, it makes that little click and you flip it off, it makes that click. Well, I'm actually standing sort of on this side by the bar and all the lights are on and I'm down here what I think by myself, I still at this day don't know. And all of a sudden, one of the lights, I hear it click off and a row of lights went out. Now I come like, I come, you know, running around the corner to look and there's nobody standing at the, the light switch. I look at the lights that now went off. I'm like, something, something might have happened. I'm like, I don't know how this happened. What I do know is, I ran up the stairs, ran out the door, and I, I left for the day. That's what I do know. And, and we should clarify, right? You gotta know how to get in here. It's not marked from the outside. It really is the truest sense of speakeasy in the modern era. So somebody's not just gonna walk in and do those things. They gotta know how to get here. They gotta be able to get in. And then whether it's you know hundreds of pounds of bricks or turning a light off, they gotta know how to do that or where those things are. I don't have an answer for that. I, I don't know how or why it would take both of us a half a day at least to move a pile of bricks. And we didn't pay anybody. We didn't do that. Like, I don't know how or why that would have happened. And it was from five o'clock one day, to like, you know, seven, eight o'clock the next morning, somebody came in and I'm like, I don't know. And, and there's been plenty of these ghost stories that really have been talked about. There's been pictures, there's been the Dr. Chandler painting in the lobby that had a lot of nostalgia to it. I do know that there has been a lot of stories and there's definitely an aura down here. You know, being over 100 years old, it feels... You can, you can feel the history like oozing out of the bricks and the walls, yeah. you know? I guess maybe there are more than one kind of spirits that might be down here. Yeah, it's funny, we almost called this place spirits at one point. And the reason why it became the ostrich, because after some research, we found that, you know, during Prohibition, you know, to keep patrons out of trouble, a guest who wanted a, a cocktail or a libation at the time would be going to, you know, the Blind Tiger or John's Pub or Mike's Bar, because as a patron, you would go into a place, oh, I heard there was a, a blind dog over here, or or, or you know something along that line. So we've learned that during Prohibition, many of these speakeasy style bars were always named after an animal. And then you take the correlation of the ostrich feathers, which we heard the story that out on the streets or in the 1900s, 1910s and 20s, ostriches were running wild around here. We're I think number two in the world population behind South Africa in ostrich population. You know, we, we heard that Dr. Chandler was an entrepreneur and he was uh, sweeping up all these feathers and he was selling them to Hollywood at one point or may or may not been for flapper dresses and things of that nature. Well, it was stored in this room. So the connection between that, we've called it the ostrich. And that's not the only tie to the prohibition era at the ostrich. You know, when we came down here, that this is where during Prohibition, people were drinking. Um, when you couldn't go upstairs to the lobby bar, that they were coming down here. And if, as we walk up, there's a ladder um, from the original 1912, and there's a big hole in the floor, I should say, right here. And instead of taking this nice staircase that came in sometimes in the 1950s or 60s, I was told, 
they took a ladder to come down here. So this repeal day and for what we do, we really appreciate what you, you said earlier about this feeling like this nostalgic old place because that's exactly what it was. Every, every now and then someone comes in and says, are you not gonna put decorations on the wall? And I said, you know, we're just trying to keep it as timeless as possible. These are 1950s style booths, and obviously 1912 was a long time before that, but we do believe all this fits together. Yeah, it really does. It's a gorgeous space. And I want to be clear, though, too, when you're celebrating Repeal Day, they don't have to come down the ladder to get in here. Right? We're not yeah. full experiential. Yeah. Uh, two ways of, of getting to the ostrich. The way the middle staircase is for our staff. You know, you do see guests floating, you know, through there to get to the bathrooms at times when we fill up. But there's a staircase facing south, and that is right across from Santan. And, uh, you know, there's a red light above it. That's the way to the ostrich. No signs. We just want to keep everything in history the right way. If you've never been to the ostrich or even know that it exists for that matter because of the lack of signage, I'll paint a picture for you. It's everything you would expect from an underground craft cocktail lounge with a roaring 20s era vibe with dim moody red lighting and wooden accents all around. With leather booths and bar stools, framed mug shots from your favorite Hollywood celebrities and old books, the ostrich is definitely an experience. If you haven't been, it's west of Crest, which is also owned by Michael Marandino, and their cocktails are to die for. You see what I did there? Thank you so much for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by the city of Chandler. Make sure you check back next week for a new episode. And if you want to tap in with our social media, you can find us on all platforms through the city of Chandler and on voicesofchandler.com. Take it easy like a speakeasy. easy.